Thank you, Scott. I've just realised I'm quite small and this is quite tall. Um, so if I stand behind it, I might not be able to see you and you won't be able to see me, um, which maybe isn't a bad thing. I don't know. Um, so my name is Dawn McAvoy. I work for the Evangelical Alliance in Northern Ireland and I'm here tonight um, representing both Lives Matter. Um, I'll not say very much more about that right now. Um, I have three daughters and I grew up in the Ards Peninsula um, and my family and I now worship currently um, on the Ards Peninsula. Um, as I said, I have three daughters, so um, this subject is very important to me as a woman um, for them and for their children. Um, it is something that we do approach um, carefully, but we do want to speak um, truthfully as far as we can see it. Um, so I do thank you for the invitation to be here this evening. Um, it is um, probably recently I've been saying to different people growing up in the Protestant denomination, I had never heard the issue of abortion addressed from the front of the church. And um, in talking to many church leaders, I'm surprised actually how many people haven't addressed it from the front, but it is so important. So um, I thank you for doing so this evening. I'm here with my friend and colleague, Marion. Um, as I said, I head up Both Lives Matter, but it is a campaign and we have partner organizations involved. Marion is the chairperson of LIFE Northern Ireland, who are a pregnancy crisis service provider. And she'll be coming up later on to share with you some of the services that LIFE do offer. Both Lives Matter has a vision for Northern Ireland we imagine a people and place that values the life and health of women and unborn children and pursues the well-being of both. We believe that women should be deserve or should be enabled in their pregnancy and motherhood, not instead of. Our message is countercultural to what society is more and more vigorously telling us, which is that women's rights are determined by, defined in, a right to end the life of their unborn child. We reject that definition. On the contrary, because both lives matter, we say that true equality for women and true progress for women is when society enables and empowers them in their biology, in the very thing that makes them women, as opposed to saying, you can take your place in society equal to men, but you have to choose between that place and your unborn child's life. As Scott said, there is prayer ministry available at the end, and I, I assure you I will do my best to not cause offence um, by anything that is said tonight. Um, and please do come to me at the end or do avail of that prayer ministry as required. But because both lives matter, this collaboration of organizations and individuals is seeking to reframe the abortion debate, to rehumanize the conversation, advocating for better care in pregnancy crisis, and advocating for a culture that is life-enabling and life-affirming for every woman and every child. 
we start from the premise that both lives in existence in every pregnancy matter. Lived experience tells us what a pregnancy results in. At what point were my children, my three girls, at what point were they not my children? Did they only become my children when they were born? Or were they my children at viability at 24 weeks, which is the cutoff for abortion in the rest of the UK? Or were they my children before they were 24 weeks in gestational development? Were they even my children right at the very start when that wee, wee blue line appeared on the pregnancy test? Our starting point determines where we finish on this issue. And if we believe, as we do, that life begins at conception, that at that point there's a new genetically distinct human being that has never been before and will never be again, then we need to respond to pregnancy crisis and the issue of abortion with that in mind. Now, Marion will expand a wee bit more on the gestational development of the unborn child, but it is medically correct that that is when that unique human being comes into existence. So we advocate for a trinity of law, culture, and services that recognize and protect both lives, but the law on its own isn't enough, so it needs enabled by life-enabling services and a life-affirming culture. We aren't a religious campaign. We welcome people of all faiths and none. Our defense of pre-born life isn't based on our faith, although our faith does play a large part. But depending on where we're speaking, we may or may not refer to faith because we don't believe you have to be a person of faith to protect and value pre-born life. And everyone has a belief system, whether that system has a label of religion or philosophy or ideology. So actually, depending on the context, you have um, the right at the risk of using a word that's quite contentious and um, it sounds demanding, but you have the right to speak of your faith as well. So we would encourage you to do that. And tonight we will be touching on the law, on God's law and culture. Valuing all human life and every human being should be the concern of all of society, regardless of political affiliation. And support for both lives matter crosses religious and political divides. I said it was a collaborative movement. We have organizations that cross those religious and political divides. So Evangelical Alliance, CARE in Northern Ireland, LIFE in Northern Ireland an organization called Cherish All the Children Equally, who come from a Republican background and um, use the, the quote from the 1916 um, Declaration of Independence. Um, at the Iona Institute, which is a Christian think tank, um, we sit around the table with clergy from across the denominations and individuals who support our aims. We aim, as I said, to always speak with sensitivity and compassion. But our desire in this space is to break out of what has become a very polarized, increasingly tense context. And for a period of time has been, and we don't want it to continue to be, just a yes-no um, argument about abortion. If that's all it is, the women facing pregnancy crisis aren't enabled or empowered in that crisis to choose life.
So being for both lives is about so much more than saying no to abortion. Our very name, we have been accused of being um, offensive um, in choosing the name Both Lives Matter. Some people reject the premise that we have started with, that there are two lives. So I just want to challenge you now, if you think that what we're saying is offensive, I don't want you to hang back. I do want you to ask questions at the end of this. We don't believe that believing that both lives matter is offensive. We believe that it is a humane and compassionate response to pregnancy crisis. We aim to educate, equip and empower pro-life voices to stand with us. So we want to resource you and other people to stand with us. It's not about me at the front or Marion at the front. It's not about us as organizations. It's it's about us as a society, and this requires a societal response. So again, I would encourage you to look at our website and, and look at the information that we're offering there, and please make use of it. When your starting point is that every pregnancy means that at least two lives are in existence, You have to be pro-life, pro-both lives. You're required to always speak about both women and unborn children because both lives matter. I mentioned the increasingly um, aggressive and tense context of an image, which is a bit provocative. Um, But this is what we don't want to see. Um, We have no interest in um, throwing uh, insults and um, we don't stand with placards on the street. Uh, There may be space for that on occasion, but that's not what we do. We want to have conversations. We want to have conversations, most importantly, with the people that don't agree with us, because we believe that society as a whole has to respond to this issue. We'll be talking about the 50 years within which abortion has been offered, and we'll be challenging the lie that we believe is that abortion is a solution to pregnancy crisis and challenging that women are any better off because of that access to abortion. We launched Both Lives Matter in January last year with a report which I have forgotten to bring up for me. But that report um, ties in with the 50th anniversary of the 1967 Abortion Act. You often hear that lives are lost to abortion We wanted to see if we could show that lives had been saved because of our abortion law in Northern Ireland. 100,000. 100,000 is the figure, the claim that we um, made in January of this year. 100,000 lives are being lived today because of our laws on abortion. It's a big claim, it's an estimate, but it's a plausible and conservative estimate. Leading economist Dr. Esmond Burney has said that it is a plausible and cautious estimate as to what might have happened if we had enacted the 1967 Abortion Act here. That claim was challenged and um, complaints were made to the Advertising Standards Authority because we had put this message on two billboards. The Advertising Standards Authority investigated our methodology And after five months between January and August of um, communication with the Advertising Standards Authority, they ruled in our favour. 
and upheld our claim, dismissing all the complaints against us. They said that it was not misleading and it was not inaccurate. They said, in fact, that on balance, we concluded that the evidence indicated that there was a reasonable probability that around 100,000 people were alive in Northern Ireland today who would have otherwise been aborted had it been legal to do so. Law influences culture, it shapes culture. When an action is legalized, it becomes socially permissible. So we have 50 years of evidence. We can look at Northern Ireland and we can look at the rest of the UK. And women here are no different to women. We all have friends, I have friends um, across the water. I'm no different to them. So what has made the vast um, difference in our abortion rates? And we believe it's directly related to the law. And that speaks directly to the challenge of those who are lobbying for law reform, that law doesn't stop abortions. It does. I'm sure that there's no one in this room who hasn't been touched in some way by these issues, pregnancy crisis and abortion, whether personally or through friends and family. That includes myself. So before I go any further, I want to stop and tell you a story. Why do I care so much about this issue? Well, because it's my story. Um, when I was 20, I was in my second year at university and I had an unplanned crisis pregnancy. Now, I was fortunate. Um, I had been with my boyfriend for a number of years and we were planning to get married. Um, so it was unplanned, but I did have him. However, um, I was across the water and um, when I went to the GP, um, to have the pregnancy confirmed. She asked me what I was going to do and I said, well, I'm going to leave university and get married. And she said, you don't have to do that. There are other options. And I said, well, what would those be? And she said, you can have an abortion. One of my flatmates, um, just a new flatmate this year um, or that year, her mum was a, a, a GP in England. She phoned me and said, don't throw your life away. You can have an abortion. Now, this is in the context of me being across the water where um, the 67 Act obviously opened the door to abortion. I'm not one of the hard cases that you hear about in the news that's used to try and change uh, abortion law. My story is one of the 98% of abortions. 98% of abortions are carried out for effectively social reasons. It's not a good time. It goes against your plans. It doesn't fit in with your plans. Now that's how easy it was if I had wanted to get an abortion. I didn't get an abortion. And I look at my daughter now who's 24. And again, going back to what I said earlier, at what point was she not my daughter? I don't believe I did throw my life away. My life did not end and it wasn't a disaster. It took a different tack but I required support and enabling to choose life for her. Could I have stayed and continued as a pregnant student and as a mum? I don't know. That was never, to my memory, ever suggested. It was very stressful for my whole family, for my parents. But like I said, it wasn't the end of the world. There are many worse things that could happen. 
It's appropriate for me to share my story, I believe, because it speaks personally and it's lived experience. We often hear that abortion is a matter of choice. Well, what was I given as a choice, really? Did I have a range of choices? It was effectively, for me, I felt at that time, stay and finish your degree and have an abortion or leave. Is that choice? When the issue of abortion comes up, we're often told to trust women, to decide for themselves. Well, I can honestly say I didn't need anybody to trust me. I needed help. I needed advice and support. Trust is easy. It doesn't cost us, the other people in the room, anything. Enabling someone in crisis is more than trusting them. It's helping them to cope and live through that crisis. We're told abortion is a private health care matter between a woman and her doctor, that morality doesn't come into it, that it's an amoral choice, and that personal faith has no part to play in it. But I had grown up in Northern Ireland, grown up in a faith context in Northern Ireland, in a context where socially abortion wasn't permitted, in a faith context where I understood that life was sacred and it was God's to give and take away. And that value system was ingrained in me. So not only did I not feel I could choose abortion, but my family lived up to those values too. We've heard too many stories of church families saying one thing and doing another, saying that God has created life, but actually in the context of embarrassment, shame, plans for your children, abortion's the easy way out. But is it? We believe that women deserve better So we refuse to have an either-or conversation when it comes to those two lives in existence. We won't talk about one life without the other. We aren't only pro-baby. We aren't only pro-forced birth. We want to talk about all the circumstances pre, during, and post-pregnancy that will enable both of those, sorry, both of those lives. We recognize that society is made up of hundreds of thousands of individual stories, and individual stories are important. They touch our hearts. But when it comes to law, the law has a role, a duty, to balance everybody's story for the common good. So in this situation, what is the common good? What is for the public good? It is the role of our legislators and policymakers to consider and uphold that when they're making law and policy. They and we must take every human being into consideration and hold all in balance. We have to apply context, social, geographical and historical, to the debate that is opening up on abortion law. As I said, we have 50 years of evidence that shows the outworking of the 67 Act on culture across the water. We have lives that have been lost to and hurt by abortion. We have lives that are being lived because we don't have that access to abortion. And as medical science continues to develop, we have a window into the womb that wasn't available in 1967. We know more and more what gestational development is. So we're asking some big questions, going back to that reframing the conversation. Are we right to defend the current law? 
what role does law play in pregnancy? What role should it play in a woman's body, in bodily autonomy and public interest? How does law create culture and how does culture shape law? In the difficult cases of prenatal diagnosis of disability and in the tragic cases of a life-limiting condition, which may prove fatal, what services are in place? What are women experiencing when faced with diagnosis? Could we do more to support and help them? What should be in place for families living with that diagnosis pre, during and post-birth? How do we respond to the current cultural trend which says that abortion is a private choice and a woman's right? What exactly is the law in Northern Ireland that I have said has led to 100,000 lives being li lived? In, 19, um, sorry, in 1967, when Great Britain enacted the 67 Act, it was a reform to the law that we are still living and working under. They proposed that it would be quite a relatively minor reform that would provide for limited access to abortion. We believe that the law in Northern Ireland strikes a balance between the life of the mother and the life of the unborn child. The mother's life and health is taken into consideration and it is only when her life is deemed to be at risk in a way that is real, serious, long-term and permanent that abortion is permitted under law. That link, biologically, it's recognised and legally it's held, protects unborn lives but it does also protect women's lives. We were contacted recently by a woman who wanted to share her story um, to show that her life had not been put at risk by her, our law. She uh, had sepsis develop in her pregnancy and was cared for very um, well within our healthcare system. She did end up having to be um, induced, the labor was induced and the baby was delivered too small, too young to survive. But she said because she knew that the medical professionals were looking after her life and her baby's life. She trusted them that when they said we have to intervene, she knew they did. And in fact, she said one medical professional said to her, we would not have made, um, we would not have waited and given you this care because elsewhere within the UK, we probably would have intervened sooner. And she said that made her feel she wouldn't have trusted them so that when they said they had to act, they did. Statute law, statutory law and case law in Northern Ireland has come to mean life and health, physical and mental health, but again in a way that is deemed to be real and serious, long-term, permanently at risk. So the impact of the pregnancy on a mother, whether that's a sexual crime or a medical diagnosis, there can be a defence in law, but it depends on the impact to the mother, or of the mother, on the mother, sorry. Compare that to the 67 Act. I said that 98% um, are for social reasons. Less than 2% um, are for cases of disability, never mind a life-limiting condition, which is often used um, to, as I said, push for abortion reform. In Great Britain, the cutoff for abortion um, is 24 weeks gestation. But if the child has a disability, 
you can abort up to term, up to birth, that's 40 weeks. The impact of that has been that nine out of 10 Down's diagnosed babies are terminated in Great Britain. Terminations occur for much less severe disabilities than we think um, that law that was put in place for. Is that what we want for Northern Ireland? For a viable baby to be deemed to be less worthy of life because they're not able-bodied? For a viable baby to be deemed to be less worthy of life because they're ill? Would we accept that for a born child? Abortion is permitted on the grounds of a fault with the unborn child. And that's a huge difference to our law, which holds both lives in balance. In Great Britain, there have been nearly 9 million abortions in those 50 years. By the time a woman gets to my age, 45, one in three women will have had an abortion. For every five births, there's one abortion. It's six times higher, the abortion rate, in the rest of the UK. Law makes a difference. I'm going to skip through the human rights legislation because we are short on time um, and I talk too much. Um, But suffice to say, there is no right to abortion. There is a right to life. You will often hear in the media that abortion is equated with women's rights. And I would urge you to reflect on that and consider at what point in history should we remove what is an existing right from the littlest member of our human family? Has there ever been a time in history when an existing human right has been removed to enable those who are bigger, stronger, more powerful? Is that not the antithesis of equality and justice. The United Nations Declaration on the Rights of the Child says that the child, by reason of its physical immaturity, deserves appropriate care and protection, including legal protection, before as well as after birth. We have examples in history when we subcategorized human beings to deem some unworthy of rights and protection in law. Abortion has become the default option in pregnancy crisis. And we would suggest that after 50 years of abortion, with one in two women still um, saying that they're discriminated against in the workplace because of their pregnancy and motherhood, abortion has not enabled women to take their place in society. It has enabled the same structural and systemic problems to exist that tell women their biology is the problem and that unborn children and the removal of their life is the solution. 50 years ago, politicians in Northern Ireland prevented the Abortion Act 1967 being introduced here. Rather than be embarrassed of that, and rather than concede to what we say is a lie, that we are backward and oppressive because of that, we think we should be grateful to those politicians and encourage our politicians today to do more for women and families because both lives matter. We believe that our law is progressive and humane and compassionate, that it's world leading. 
What does the Bible say? I haven't left this to after the law for any other reason than to say we don't have to start with the Bible. But as citizens of two kingdoms, if you like, we also have a duty to refer to God's law. The Bible is not a biology textbook. We can't go to it and be given a blow-by-blow account of the gestational development of the unborn child. But what we can do is see what God says about unborn life. We can look then at his character and see what he says about how we should respond to the issue of pregnancy crisis and abortion. The Bible tells us that God is the creator of life. In Genesis, we are told God created male and female in his image as his image bearers. God made us and knows us. We are his people. He made us able-bodied and disabled. We were created and known before birth. And we were created for a purpose, regardless of how well, strong, able we were. We are God's handiwork created for a purpose before we were born. Galatians 1.15 says, When God, who set me apart from my mother's womb and called me by his grace, was pleased. God alone has authority over life and death, and that includes pre-birth. God's character, James 1.27 Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless as this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. What's the context for us, widows and orphans? Who are the vulnerable and the oppressed? We are to guard God's word from a culture that isn't of him and as his children we need to guard our hearts from that culture as well. Our humanity is inherent It is part of us being made in God's image. It's not because of our gender. It's not because of our age. It's not because of our ability or our health. Our personhood is beyond our physical or mental capacity or incapacity. And as God's people, we should surely err on the side of caution. Either there is no human life to protect, so all and any abortion is justifiable, Or every human being is a life deserving of the same protection and therefore there should be no abortion unless it is to preserve life. I'm going to ask Marion up at this point. Um, I've said what the culture is of challenge to our law. I've talked very briefly about what the law says and I've flown through what God's word says. How do we apply that as Christians in our daily life? So Marion, can you share um, what services life offer and your role in that? Hi, good evening. Um, so Life NI is a pregnancy care charity and we've been working in Northern Ireland for about 36 years now. Um, we are a charity, a branch of the national charity, um, Life UK which was set up by Jack and Lula Scarsbrick in England um, as a direct response to the 67 Act because Jack and Lula 
believed, um, still believe, um, although they're retired now, that women should be enabled in their pregnancy and to do that they needed help and support. Um, their friends then in Northern Ireland, a, a couple who, who knew them well, although the law hadn't changed here, thought, as Dawn has said, well, women in Northern Ireland are the same and suffer the same crises, um, and they will need the same support, although the law is different here. So they set up Life NI. We have two branches of our services. Um, Pregnancy Matters is our care package, really, and that includes counselling. We counsel for any issue that really comes in the door, but I suppose you can categorise them really in terms of crisis pregnancy, pregnancy or counselling for pregnancy loss. Um, we also counsel for postnatal depression. Um, and as well, we do offer post-abortion counselling because we believe that even women who may have chosen to travel to England to access an abortion, when they come back, they may find that they need help to deal with their feelings. Um, I'm not saying suggesting that every woman has certain feelings that she needs help with um, if she's had an abortion, but we want to be there for everybody and we turn nobody away. We've also opened up our counselling services recently for issues of life-limiting conditions as well, and we're developing information and care packages for that. Along with our counselling services, we also provide housing for homeless pregnant women and girls. Um, and that really enables a girl who has found herself homeless with no one to turn to, to come to us, um, to be housed um, and supported during her pregnancy and after she's given birth to her baby. Um, girls and women can stay with us up to two years, but most normally stay about nine to 12 months. When they then decide to go back out into independent living, we have our floating community support workers who will go out and just assist them, set up house for, you know, and, and make sure they have everything they need for their baby. We also offer practical services. Um, very recently, we've had the, our, our charity shop is at the top of Tate's Avenue in Belfast, um, just really at the lights there. It used to be Brown's footwear, for anybody who might remember that. Um, and um, we are very, very close to the Royal Maternity then, and we've had many calls from them where a girl or a woman has come in and maybe hasn't anything to put on her new baby, and maybe doesn't even have anything for herself in terms of toiletries and small things. Um, and we've been able to put together a little package and send that down to the maternity hospital. We also had a situation recently where, where there were quite a few women coming in the door, and um, for any of you who have um, brought babies home from hospital, you'll know that now um, you're not allowed to leave the hospital without a mode of transport that you can show to the staff. So if you're bringing a baby home in a car, you must bring the car seat into the maternity unit and show them the car seat so they can check the safety of it. If you're bringing the baby home by pram, you have to bring the pram in and show. Um, it's all to do with the safety of the baby. Um, we actually were getting requests to send down car seats and prams uh, for families who didn't, couldn't afford them. And, um, and we gathered those as well with no charge to the families that we helped. Um, there are a range, I could talk all day about the potential services, I'll not. Suffice to say that anybody who comes in our door, we will do our utmost to help them, whatever it might be. We did have recently a request for a young couple who 
never considered an abortion. It, it wasn't actually about that. They were a young couple, only recently married, um, about three or four months into their marriage, found out that the, they were pregnant and expecting um, their first baby. And um, the male um, was very nervous and uh, was afraid of fainting even during the antenatal classes. And um, we actually were asked, um, would there be counselling for him? And we said, yes, absolutely. So it's, it's a range depending on, on what is necessary and, and we're just there to help. Um, our other package then is um, our education matters and that incorporates um, our school's talks. And we do talks about gestational development. We talk about the law and we talk about relationships and choices that young people have to make. And we hope that through that, then they will come to an understanding of when life begins. And if they find themselves in a situation where they maybe um, have an unplanned pregnancy, that they know that they can turn to us for help and support. And then my lovely job is um, to uh, face Stephen Nolan. Um, no, <laughs> um, yes, sometimes, but generally I sort of um, tour with Dawn and, uh, and, and give the message of our services. And if called upon, we'll do an interview or two. Thank you. Um, can you speak just briefly from the perspective of Life UK um, for where the services are at in Life UK and what their warning, if you like, would be to us here um, as regards law reform? So I think Life UK um, will often say that we, that for them the horse is bolted and they are fighting a completely different um, fight. Um, for us, we are almost holding the horse back and, and, and standing at the gate. Um, they face uh, massive um, problems uh, whenever it comes to just trying to provide care for women who are choosing to continue their pregnancy. And most recently, actually, it was very, very blatant. Um, they applied for a, a grant from what is called the the tampon tax fund um, and uh, they applied it was completely legitimate they filled every criteria um, and what they were looking for was money to set up a house um, in East London in a very very poor area of London to do exactly what we do with our house here in Northern Ireland to home um, and house uh, homeless pregnant women, so women who had chosen to continue the pregnancy, who wanted to have their baby, who didn't want to have an abortion, but they needed help and they needed somewhere to live. So they were awarded um, the money and pro-choice campaigners found out about this and um, they went after um, the, the whole issue. They even brought it into the Houses of Parliament and it was raised by MPs who wanted to take the money off life this money wasn't going to any advocacy work. It wasn't even going to counselling that anybody could argue with. Not that you can argue with our counselling because it's non-directional and non-judgmental. Um, it was going purely for this project to, ho to house women who wanted to continue their pregnancy. And um, there was a, a very large attempt to, to remove it from them. Thankfully, however, it hasn't been taken off them, but it is an issue that they're very concerned about, that whenever law changes, that, as John has said, the default becomes abortion, and then you face a very difficult battle, and even women who do want to have their babies in possibly the most difficult of circumstances and who are looking for help, they're almost being denied help. Denied is a very strong word, but the barriers are being put up to almost prevent the organisations that want to help them from doing so. So we were talking recently, and um, Both Lives Matter has faced um, 
a number of attempts. I think we counted them together, sort of yeah. 13 um, attempts between both Lives Matter and then a couple of things for life in the UK. Yeah. Um, silencing yeah. and no platforming. There was um, a story you told of Clara, one of the education officers. Yeah, so um, we were able to get into Brunel University, um, which is a university in London, and um, it was just in the Freshers' Fair. So the team uh, paid the money to have the table at the Freshers' Fair and set up. Now, we do not use any um, images of um, aborted babies. Uh, that, that's not what our organisation does. What we do do is we use biology textbook images of gestational development, the exact same images that you would see if you were going for a scan. Um, and so, um, um, but in this context, they weren't using images. They did have their little baby models. The models, again, are biology um, baby models. They're used by schools of medicine. Um, and they just, there's four, four, 12 weeks, 16, 20, and 30. No, 24, sorry, 24. Um, and they were out on the table. And they were approached by the students' union officers and asked to remove them because they were deemed to be offensive. Now, if you consider that one of these models was 24 weeks and that at 24 weeks a baby can actually survive outside the uterus, the question is, well, is that premature baby also offensive? Um, but they did remove the models just out of respect for the students' union. But one of our team happened uh, to be in early stages of pregnancy, although she was showing, and she faced massive criticism for doing her job. She's a paid member of staff, one of our top education officers, and she was criticised for standing at our stall at the Freshers' Fair because she was pregnant. Um, so the question for us was, do we have to hide women who are now pregnant? Are they not allowed to be in public squares? Is that, is that offensive to people? And actually, it was so deemed so offensive to people that the students' union, the freshers um, from the people who organised the Fresh Fair, buckled under pressure. They gave our money that we had paid for the stall, and they matched it, and they gave it to the women's union within the organisations who actively campaign for abortion. There's so many other instances, Marianne, thank you. I'm going to bring you up in a minute for the Q&A. There's so many more instances of the desire to silence a voice that um, doesn't accept that abortion is a right or a means to equality. So just as I close, I just want to leave you with a few thoughts. Science, medicine, law and culture, our belief system, whether that has a label or not, all have a part to play in how we think about and react to the issues of pregnancy crisis and abortion. Because both lives matter, we advocate for a trinity of a law that recognises and protects both lives, services that enable life, and a culture that affirms life. And all together, those three work to enable women and families. What does it mean for society when a government can fund helplines run by abortion providers to offer advice on how to end a pregnancy? And in the name of progress and equality for women, the government will pay for travel for women from Northern Ireland to access abortion services. But where is the parity of funding for services to enable women to choose life? If pro-choice policies are truly about choice rather than about abortion, where is the parity of choice? Where is the funding to provide information on how you can continue in your pregnancy, including the ability to access services and benefits that will enable both lives? When care is, in the words of a former president of the Royal College of Obstetricians and Gynaecologists in Northern Ireland, patchy and inconsistent, 
What does it mean when we have one bereavement midwife in the whole of Northern Ireland? When there's verbal support from politicians for perinatal palliative care or comfort care and maternal mental health care, but there's little movement on the ground to provide for those services, where is the choice? Is choice only about abortion? Life has leaflets out at the back that will talk about their services. Marion mentioned the hypocrisy of the funding that the small funding that was offered to life to provide housing for very vulnerable women compared to the hundreds of thousands every year that goes to the abortion industry. Where is the choice? We believe that Northern Ireland has the opportunity at this point in time when we're facing so many challenges to change the law to be world leading in our response to women and families facing crisis. We have an opportunity to not follow the same path that the rest of the UK has taken. To say no, we don't accept that abortion is the choice that we want to offer. So we defend the existing law because it recognises and protects both lives. But with that, we stand for women and unborn children and advocate for world-leading care and support services. And as Marion said, we will continue to do that as we meet with legislators and church leaders and service providers. We stand ready to change culture and challenge society to no longer accept the following, that the unborn fetus is anything other than the tiniest member of our human family or that access to abortion is necessary for women to realize their potential. And finally, we actually reject that this is a woman's issue alone. Pregnancy and access to abortion can't be looked at in isolation. This is a societal issue. In my own story, my husband now and my father were men who stepped up and supported me. If we restrict this, to a woman's individual choice. It's entirely reasonable to expect that women will only feel that they have one choice because they're on their own. We need to support women in their biology and fertility, in their pregnancy and motherhood, not instead of. So we believe that women and families and all of society deserve better than abortion. And we hope that Both Lives Matter will continue to bring a different voice to this space. We want to be proactive and positive to talk about the lives being lived. So we are celebrating the lives that have been saved. But there is a, that other story. So I just want to just um, refer to a friend of mine who supports the campaign um, but had been invited to an event and said she couldn't come. And when I met with her and asked her why, she said because she'd had an abortion when she was younger. It had been a very difficult circumstance and she didn't feel like she had any other option. So more than 10 years later, she is grieving that decision that she made. So we won't stand in opposition to her or to any woman who has made that choice. We stand with them in their pain and their grief. And we want to help them to verbalize their pain and grief. To say, do you know what? That choice didn't help me. 
So we stand with two stories in mind, the lives being lived, like my daughter, and the lives lost to and hurt by abortion, my friend. And we ask you to do both as you consider the space that we're in today. Thank you.